Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. All right, we'll go ahead and, uh, and get started since it's uh, 9 o'clock. Uh, I am excited to talk to you guys today about Hudson Taylor. Um, many of you may have heard the name Hudson Taylor before. Uh, his name comes up a lot as we talk about missionaries. Um, uh, but as we may have heard his name a lot, uh, we may not necessarily know a lot uh, about him, or we may. Uh, I'm curious, this is a gamble on audience participation and also get a feeler. Okay, yeah, me get you plenty of room there. Uh, and, and feeler on what you guys know already. Uh, would anybody venture to tell me anything that they know about, about Hudson Taylor? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, he did, as many missionaries at that time, practice, practice medicine. I don't know if they would have like, qualified him as a doctor, per se, but he did a lot of, lot of medical work um, over there. So, yes. Right now, Kyle is leading with one point. Who else? Yes. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so that's probably like the thing that I most remember about Hudson Taylor is his distinguishing mark of dressing uh, like the locals, which we'll talk about um, a lot. But you can see in the picture that's up here, uh, him dressed with the, uh, with the hat. And actually, we'll talk about the hairstyle as well. Um, and then as you see today, uh, wearing the same, same uh, outfit. They don't usually wear this too much uh, now, except for like big, big celebrations. Um, so even though I had this when I was over there, I hardly ever hardly ever wore it, but yeah, so that was a big distinguishing mark, and we'll talk about why that was such a, such a big deal to him, and why it was such a big deal to those who were not following that. Good. Anyone else? All right, well, we're going to learn a lot today then. So uh, why don't I pray for us, and then, uh, then we'll get started. Father, we are thankful for a heated building. We are thankful for uh, a roof over our heads. We are thankful for chairs that we get to sit in and for people that are sitting next to us, around us in those, in those chairs. We're thankful for um, the little ones who are learning uh, next door in other rooms. So we are thankful, Father God, um, for your word that you have given to us to learn from. We are thankful for your Holy Spirit that you have given to us to teach us and to help us to learn. And so we pray in this hour, Father, um, as uh, our children are next door learning about you, we pray, Father, that they would come to to know you at an early age, Lord. And uh, Father, we pray here in this room as we talk about and remember Hudson Taylor and your work in his lives, that you would do a work in us uh, as well to increase um, our, our fervency in prayer and our prayer for missions around the world um, and just our, our heart to share your word and your gospel uh, with the lost that are around us and the lost that are around the globe. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, uh, if you want to click to the, uh, the next slide, uh, I was happy to pick uh, Hudson Taylor because he had a big impact uh, on, my, on my own life. Um, when I went to China in 2004 as a 22-year-old, um, I did not know about Hudson Taylor until 
right before I went over there, and it was kind of a suggested reading. And so I read a book on him, um, and I was uh, heavily impacted by his mission strategy um, in China, uh, as far as like trying to be one with the people, to assimilate himself uh, with them, to not to be separate from them, um, but to live in a very sacrificial way among the Chinese and to try to rub shoulders and eat and drink with them as much as he possibly could, um, and in that to try to win lost souls to, to Christ. Um, so and as a big part of that, as we'll talk about, is his, is his Chinese dress. When he went over there, uh, he was dressed as every other missionary um, in China at the time in proper uh, British uh, 19th 19th century attire, um, which set them apart uh, from the from the Chinese, which created a stumbling block, which we'll talk about. Um, and then second, he is known as a man of prayer, which is true for a lot of missionaries that we'll talk about. We have talked about this entire quarter, um, which is part of the reason why we're talking about them, because they were people of prayer and did magnificent things. Um, he would often uh, wake up at 5 a.m., uh, spend two hours in, in prayer in his quiet time before uh, he would actually start his day. As an overflow of that, uh, he was also uh, kind of pioneered something we refer to as faith missions. Um, He was heavily influenced by George Mueller, uh, who was alive at the time in England, who, as you may know, uh, ran a very large orphanage uh, with probably 2,000 kids at a time. Um, And he would not, George Mueller would not uh, send out requests for money to anyone. He said, um, you know, though I'm taking care of these children, it's ultimately God who takes care of us and he's our good father and knows our needs. And so I will just spend time in in prayer uh, and ask God to provide the money and the milk and the bread uh, that we need. Amazing story about George Mueller, but that kind of faith uh, work that George Mueller did, Hudson Taylor also emulated that in his mission work, um, and he would also not make those kind of pleas for, for money. Uh, instead, he would plead to God to help and provide for him. He had a great heart for lost while he was in England, um, and also while he was in China that drove him uh, to, to go and make great sacrifices and to go and preach the word in many uh, corners um, of kind of rural areas. And he also had a joy in the Lord that, that drove him along uh, and sustained him over his, over his long career as a missionary. You can go on to the next slide. Hudson Taylor was born as James Hudson Taylor in uh, 1832 to James and Amelia Taylor. I was surprised to find out his first name was James. I'm assuming that since his dad's name was James, uh, he just went by Hudson probably, which was his middle name. So that's how we know him as Hudson Taylor. Uh, his family was a, uh, a Christian family, a part of the Methodist church, um, very active in their faith. They had prayed before um, Hudson was, was born that he would be sent to China uh, to take the gospel to, to China. Um, and so he would hear about that even as a, as a child. Um, about China and this desire for China's family's desire for China and a heart for the Lord. However, he himself did not embrace the gospel. He was active in church. Um, He tried to be a good kid. Um, He tried to read his Bible and stuff like that, but ultimately um, he did not at that time know Christ as his savior. He said of this, uh, I think I have this quote up here. Often I tried to make myself a Christian and failing, of course, in such efforts, I began at last to think that for some reason or other I could not be saved and that the best I could do was to take my fill of this world as there was no hope for me beyond the grave. 
This was his state in his teenage years, um, and it was when he was 17 years old um, that he became a believer. And it was kind of a, uh, a remarkable, remarkable conversion. His mother was, was away, um, and his dad was off doing something, and he was at home at the house, and he was kind of bored and looking for something to read. His father had a gospel tract uh, laying around, which apparently he had a lot of this literature, and uh, he picked it up, went over into the room, started, started reading over it, and it's nothing new to him. It's information and verses uh, that he had seen before, but this time as he was reading the gospel in this tract that was laying around in his house, he began to see his own sin and began to see that Jesus Christ had died for him, uh, that he would have forgiveness of his sins, and that this was the only way that he would have peace with God and peace in this life, and he gave his life um, over to the Lord at this moment with a gospel tract and a in a corner of his, of his house. His mom had been away for about a week or two uh, while this had happened. And when she had returned, he was excited to tell her uh, of this news. And as she, uh, as she came home and he's running up to her, he said, I, I, I know, I know, I know already what you're going to tell me. And I'm, I'm excited about it. And he's like, what? And he, because uh, about a week or two before, while she was away with her friends, um, she had this overwhelming burden uh, for her son, Hudson, who did not know Christ. And uh, she said she had to pull herself away uh, from her friends and went over to a room and she was praying for hours, two or three hours in tears, um, just knowing that something was going on with Hudson and that he needed Christ. And she was praying, praying, praying. And then she felt at the end of these uh, few hours, this burden lifted. Uh, and she could see that this burden of sin was lifted from, from Hudson. And so she was assured at that time of salvation. So she knew when she came home that he had been saved. Also, uh, a month before this, uh, his sister, who was very dear to him, had made a note in her diary that she was going to begin praying every day for her brother to know, to know Christ. And so God, in answer to these prayers of his mother and of his sister, uh, came to know the Lord when he was 17 years, years old. Um, he says he had a joy to serve. Uh, it's up here. Well do I remember how in the gladness of my heart I poured out my soul before God, again and again confessing my grateful love to him who had done everything for me, who had saved me when I had given up all hope and even desire for salvation. I besought him to give me some work to do for him as an outlet for love and gratitude. Well do I remember as I put myself, my life, my friends, my all upon the altar, the deep solemnity, I can't say that word, that came over my soul with the assurance that my offering was accepted. The presence of God became unutterably real and blessed, and I remember stretching myself on the ground and lying there before him with unspeakable awe and unspeakable joy. For what service I was accepted, I knew not. But a deep consciousness that I was not my own took possession of me, which has never since been effaced. It was at this point that he knew that he was set aside for God's work, and China was already on his heart. He knew of the tens of millions uh, of lost in China who had never heard of Christ, and he desired to go there and to share the gospel um, with them. Uh, and several of these quotes uh, that I'll be reading, we, we get from his journals, his diaries, as well as lots of letters that he wrote um, to his family during the time. So fortunately, we have a lot of his own, own words uh, as well. So he started doing this missionary, missionary training, um, and as an end to that, he apprenticed with a, um, basically a pharmacist um, and was, was there helping, helping him, and he would learn 
medicine, uh, which he intended to use when he was on the mission field. Um, He started to uh, learn Chinese because he knew that would be important over there. However, to take a Chinese course was going to be extremely expensive, um, as well as just getting a hold of a Chinese dictionary was going to be very expensive, and he was not, uh, they were not very well off. So what he did, he was able to get his hands on a Chinese Bible, um, and if anyone studied languages before, he did something very difficult. He went to the Chinese Bible and then the English Bible, um, and he started like looking for uh, words that might be in the same places, and by that, he learned over 600 Chinese characters, even before he went over um, to China, just by matching up, matching up things. So that was his his cheap way of, of learning learning Chinese. Um, he also started to train himself for hardship, kind of like somewhat as we heard Jim Elliott do uh, last week, um, where he wanted to uh, join wrestling team just so he could train his body um, and learn to overcome and endure. He started to train himself for hardship. Uh, there's a quote uh, coming up here. Uh, having now the twofold object in view of accustoming myself to endure hardness and of economizing in order to help those among whom I labor, I'm laboring in the gospel, I soon found that I could live upon very much less than I had previously thought possible. Butter, milk, and other luxuries I ceased to use and found that by living mainly on oatmeal and rice with occasional variations, a very small sum was sufficient for my needs." In this way, I had more than two-thirds of my income available for other purposes. And my experience was that the less I spent on myself and the more I gave to others, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become. So he started to restrict his expenditures extremely, not spending on luxuries like butter uh, and milk, um, and uh, found that by saving this kind of money, he was able to give to others more. He started to live a very, very sacrificial life. And even as his finances uh, were that he was living on were quite small, um, he would begin to depend upon the Lord for his needs. And he would do these kinds of, uh, this kind of faith mission approach, uh, even with his, uh, with his salary, with the pharmacist that he was um, interning with. So the pharmacist uh, had told him, hey, please remind me uh, every two weeks or so when I'm supposed to pay you um, because I'll, I forget about it. So please just remind me when, it's, you know, when, the, when the money's due. Well, um, Hudson had determined that he was not going to do that. He was going to trust in the Lord to provide for him. Uh, and so he was not going to remind the pharmacist. He would, he would remind God, you know, hey, I'm, I, I, need, I need some money right now. I'm running low on, on food. Um, you can question the wisdom of this, but uh, that was his, his faith test that he was going to do. So um, he was working for this guy, uh, and his money, uh, his salary became due uh, had not been paid, but again, he started praying to the Lord, and his savings uh, started going down. So now like a week has passed, and he wasn't living on much already, um, and basically he was, he was down left to nothing. He was left with a, a half crown, and I'm not familiar with the British, uh, British money system, but it was a coin. All he had was this one coin, this half crown that was really not going to buy him, buy him much. He got a call, or uh, a, a man came and, and, and sought him out, and said that his wife uh, was, was very sick um, and he wanted her to come pray for, pray for her. Um, and he said, why don't you have the, the priest come and pray for her because they were Catholic. And he said, well, the priest was requiring money to be paid to come out and, and to pray, pray for his wife. And he's like, that's just, 
that's, that's just wrong. Um, and so I will, I will come, I'll come out and I'll come pray for your, your wife. And uh, five kids or so that were living with him, they were, they were starving. Uh, and the, the whole way there, he was thinking about their situation of not having money, uh, not having food. And he's thinking about this little half crown that he has uh, in his pocket. And, and the half crown is worth 2.6 shillings. So two shillings and six, six pence. And he was thinking, ah, oh, I just wish I didn't have only a half crown. I wish I had the two shillings and a sixpence, and I would be able to give them, you know, one of my, one of my shillings, because uh, I need something to eat, and I don't have anything to provide for myself. They're still walking there. He's praying through this struggle the whole time, and God's like, you would just give him, you know, a shilling? And he's like, as he's going, he's like, oh, no, I would, I would give the one shilling and sixpence to them, keep, you know, one for myself. Finally, he was thinking, if he had the two shillings and sixpence, I would just keep the sixpence for myself, and I would give, you know, the two shillings to, to them. He arrived there, and, and he, he prayed, for, prayed for the wife, the mother, um, and he could see the state of all of them. They were very, very, very poor. And uh, he's like, man, I just wish I had, you know, the, the two shillings and six pence, because if I just had the six pence, I could give it to him. And he said he felt convicted as God was saying to him, you would be okay with six pence, which is very, 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 very small, small amount, versus nothing? Like, can you not trust me? You need six pence and your faith that, that that's what is required. Um, and he felt very burdened by this. And so he pulled out his half crown, you know, gave it, gave it to them. And he said this overwhelming joy came over him as he walked home with nothing in his pockets, nothing to his name. Um, he had a bowl of gruel waiting for him uh, as, he, as he got home. And he said it, it, was a, it was a wonderful feeling. He felt free, he felt joyous, um, and it was one of the best feelings he had. Uh, the next morning, as he ate the remaining parts of that gruel, uh, his feelings and tests uh, were, were tested because now he was getting very hungry. Uh, I went to work the next day, uh, was not paid. Um, and I think it was the day after that, uh, end of the week still had not been, still had not been paid. Um, and so he was praying, praying, God, I don't have any money. I'm, I'm hungry. Um, and I need you to provide, need you to provide for me. Suddenly at 10 o'clock at night, while he was cleaning up and the pharmacist had been leaving, the pharmacist walked back and he says, amazing thing. Our, who happened to be their wealthiest patient had just come and he had, that patient had felt burdened that he owed money uh, on their last appointment. And he said he just couldn't get through the weekend without coming and, and paying for it, even though it was 10, 10 p.m. So came in, wrote these notes up. So Hudson was like, wow, that's really cool. And he's like, and that could go to me. Um, and the pharmacist was already leaving without thinking about uh, paying the money to Hudson. But it came upon him like, oh, I owe you, I owe you money. Um, and so in his dire need at this moment, he was knocking on the doors of heaven, uh, pleading with his father. And uh, he saw that his father would provide for him uh, even as he was being, being tested. This story is a picture of how the rest of his ministry was in, in China. He would continue to depend upon God to provide for him uh, even, uh, even, when he was, even when he was suffering. Um, he, he joined the, uh, the, chi the uh, China Evangel 
Evangelization Society, um, which was a new startup um, for missions in China. He wanted to join one of these bigger missions like the London Mission Society, but he did not have a, uh, a university degree. Kind of think about Gladys Aylward that I talked about, who she was you know, being rejected. He was also rejected, um, but he found this opportunity to go with this new startup. Um, and the political climate, there was something going on called the uh, Taiping Rebellion, uh, where it was a uh, somewhat nominal Christian or Christians in China uh, uh, were starting to revolt and take over the, the, the part of the empire. Anyways, politically, it was a good time for to go over there. That ended up fizzling out and not being much to it. But uh, he went ahead and went over to, to Shanghai. So in September 19th, 1853, he sailed for, for China. March 1st, 1854, he arrived in Shanghai. If you do the math, that's five, about a little over five months he was on the boat uh, from England over to, to Shanghai, um, which becomes remarkable when you think that he made uh, approximately 10 trips to China in his lifetime. So that five month is a one-way trip, uh, so double that, uh, and you're looking at you know, seven years or so that he spent on a boat uh, in, his, in his lifetime going to and from, to and from China. So he arrived in, uh, in Shanghai. This is kind of a, gives you a, a picture of what Shanghai uh, would have looked like in the bustling streets in the, uh, towards the middle of the city in the, uh, in the 1800s. Uh, if you want to flip to the next slide, um, you'll see this is a, a house that was built in the 1800s uh, in, in Shanghai by a like, Dutch engineer. I just found this picture on, uh, on, uh, on, online. Uh, this is a type of home that a uh, expat, expat coming from another country uh, who would be going to this port city and have have their job. They would set up this very Western-looking, uh, basically compound where they were not out in the bustling, poor, dirty uh, area of Shanghai where the normal Chinese were living. They would buy some land, acquire some land, uh, build a nice kind of compound, basically, and live comfortably there. Hudson was very bothered by this when he arrived in, uh, in China um, and was living with the London Mission Society because his society did not help provide a place to live. But he was living here in a place like this, and he felt very convicted because people were giving their money over in England and saving up and not drinking milk and not drinking butter you know, to give to missions, and then the missionaries coming over and living like this and living so separate from, from the Chinese. Uh, so this weighed on him. This weighed on him uh, heavily. Um, missionaries at this time, Protestant missionaries, were only in Shanghai, which is a, a large port city, and four other port cities. Basically, they were not allowed to go out of there, and if they did go out of there, um, they could get caught, or it was also uh, very uncomfortable and unrealistic to, to get to not have this kind of compound living and to go out um, into these more rural areas. Um, uh, Hudson had this growing burden not to just be in a port city, not just in Shanghai living in a compound, but he wanted to go out into these more inland uh, areas. Um, and so over the next two years, um, he made about 10 uh, voyages uh, out for short periods of time um, in the nearby areas with another missionary uh, and trying to go and share the gospel with, uh, with others there. Um, 
I'm going to get ahead of myself here. This is a good time to talk about the Chinese dress. So he would go out to these, uh, to these areas, um, and he would, he would have been learning Chinese, and he would go and try to speak in the, in the city center, and he would draw a big crowd because everyone was fascinated by this, uh, by this white uh, guy who was standing up in this very weird dress, which would have been uh, the British uh, dress. If you think of um, suits, you can keep that slide there. That's good. Um, and they'd have their, uh, he'd have his suit on with his top hat and, you know, tie and whatever, and would be out there speaking about, about Christ, and people would be very interested in him, not so much um, the gospel, and he found, one, that his being so different, though it did detract attention, it detracted from the gospel, because they did not care about what he was saying. They only cared about how he looked, and he, he accounts one time he was there with his uh, top coat on, and they were asking, somebody like, raised their hand and asked the question, he's like, I... I get so the buttons on your on your shirt like I get I understand the buttons in the middle to help keep it together but if you think of like some old suit coats they got like the buttons on the side and they're like but what are those buttons for you know like why like nothing's thin and he couldn't answer it it was just like these weird extra buttons on the side and at that moment he was like man, like they're thinking about all the wrong things and not hearing the gospel um, right now. And not only would it be a, a detraction, distraction there, uh, it would also cause such an uproar when he would come into town. Some people who didn't like foreigners at all, which was very common, um, there would be uh, uh, almost like riots going on and he'd have to leave the city um, because of his dress. So at the time, nobody, no missionaries were dressing like the locals. The locals uh, would be dressed like this, so have a shirt somewhat like this on. You can see the uh, kind of weird-looking uh, shoes that he said were very uncomfortable. And the most distinguishing thing was the haircut. So you've seen this on movies sometimes uh, from that time period where their, he- their head is shaved back to the middle, uh, and then they'll grow this very long uh, uh, ponytail, basically, that goes down, which they almost never, almost never cut. Um, so him with, with a, just a, you know, an English haircut looked very, very different. So oh, after much deliberation, after much prayer, um, he switched over to the uh, Chinese, Chinese dress. So one day uh, he, had, he had acquired the clothing. He, at home, he was already practicing starting to wear the shoes. He went to a barber uh, and had his head shaved to here, uh, had his hair dyed um, black so it would be the same color uh, as them. And he started to grow out a beard and had it uh, the same color as well. He says the change was remarkable. When he would go into these cities, um, they began to somewhat accept them as, as one of their own. And they would start, they w- it would be curious to them, um, but they would actually listen to his message um, instead of seeing him as a foreigner and a foreign religion, um, instead something that they could believe in themselves. Uh, at one point, he had uh, the Ch- China Evangelization Society um, had another family that they were sending over, which uh, Hudson was troubled by because he himself did not have a place to live. He was basically uh, living off of the, the good graces of London Mission Society in their compound. Um, and he said, there's this family coming over on a boat right now uh, with you know, several children, and we don't have a, we don't have a, I don't have a place for them to stay, and I assume I need to prepare a place for them because uh, they're expecting me already on the ground to prepare a place. So he went out into the Shanghai city looking for places outside of the compound where he might be able to, uh, to rent. Um, and he found this place, uh, found this, this uh, house with two stories and, and several rooms in it, 
He went out there and started uh, preparing it, um, but the uh, China, this was at the time when he was not wearing the Chinese dress. Um, they did not want him out there. They burned the uh, building uh, next, next to it to try to force him out. There was a war going on at the time, uh, and there was a lot of rubble around the house. At one point, a, uh, a cannonball hit uh, the house next door and sent uh, rubble into his house, and it was not gonna work for him to, to live out there, but he realized, this is where I wanna be. I wanna be out among the people. I want to be living like the people. I want to be eating their food, using chopsticks, speaking their language, uh, instead of trying to use a translator and using a fork and trying to teach them to eat pizza, you know? Um, so um, eventually, uh, he, he did that. Um, that's doc, that doctor, the guy who came from England with his family was named Dr. Parker. Uh, when he arrived, they uh, all shoved into the London Mission Society compound for a brief time. Um, and an opportunity opened up for Dr. Parker uh, to go to another port city nearby and open up a hospital there, uh, which, he, which he did. It's at this point um, that when he changed to the, uh, to the Chinese dress, and he then eventually left the China Evangelization Society because they carried a lot of debt, and uh, he was uh, against debt, and they were not providing for him uh, at all. So he's been there five years now, um, and he's, a, he's uh, taken on the Chinese dress, living in the Shanghai nearby area, uh, and he's found a place now to live outside of, the, outside of the compound. So he's living among the Chinese, sharing the gospel with them. Uh, and a young lady catches his eye uh, by the name of Maria Dyer. She comes from a, a China missionary uh, family. She had grown up in China, went back to England, and now she was back in China. Um, and she had many suitors coming uh, after, after her. Uh, Hudson was by far the weirdest among them uh, because all the foreigners there were looking at the British were looking at him as just, he's lost his mind, you know, dressing like he, like he was. Um, but she liked that. Um, she was all about the gospel. She was all about the Chinese and winning loss there. And she saw his heart for them and the links that he was going to share the gospel with them. And uh, so while uh, her, those around her were telling him have nothing to do with him, uh, he was able to get permission to marry her and they ended up marrying. Um, in 1859, one year later, Dr. Parker, who had opened the hospital in the other port city, um, he had to return to, to England for health reasons. And he had, written to, uh, he had written to Hudson and said, hey, could you come over and take over this, this hospital? Um, and he did. Uh, went over to the hospital, but he said, I'm going to run this, I'm going to run this differently because I don't have the funding uh, that you were able to get as a full-blown doctor in your private practice. Um, I'm, you know, an apprentice, you know, medical assistant, basically, but I've got God on my side and we'll, uh, we'll take care of this hospital. So he went there um, and he had to, uh, uh, he had to get rid of several of like the uh, professional nurse level type, type people and people who were uh, Christians first and nurses secondary um, who are willing to, uh, to live on a, on a lower, lower salary. Um, and he was able to run this, this hospital um, uh, without asking for any kind of money. He would get support uh, coming from England. It would trickle in. And it, much like George Mueller, they would get down to their last bag of, of rice. Uh, they would get down to uh, not being able to, to pay the salaries. And uh, one day, the, the, a nurse came to him and says, hey, we've only, got, we've only got one bag of rice left. That's it for us to, to feed this 50-bed uh, hospital that we, that we have. And God, or, uh, Hudson said, 
don't worry, God will, God will provide for us. So then Hudson went over to a room by himself and started praying and praying and reaching out uh, to God and saying, we're not going to make it the next day. You know, like we, we, need, um, we, we need food. Uh, that same day, uh, a letter came from England uh, from his, um, uh, his, his uh, organizer in England uh, for 50 pounds, which is a very large amount. It said that uh, his father had passed away and left him money, and uh, here's 50 pounds right now, and uh, w- would you let me know? I've got more that I want to send your way. And, uh, and it was by this type, of, this type of living, this type of faith, um, that the hospital uh, was able to, to make it on. Um, at this point, Hudson uh, started to get sick, uh, they believe, with hepatitis, um, and so it became necessary for him to return to, to England. So in uh, 1860, uh, he went back to, back to England, um, and he started uh, the China Inland Mission. If you want to go to the uh, next slide... Yeah. So he ended up being in England for five years, which for him was far too long. Uh, He was getting very restless there being in England. He wanted to be back in China. He felt useless there um, in England while Gladys Aylward, who we talked about a few months ago or a month ago, um, when she was back home in England, she uh, did a lot of work, was really speaking for for China. Um, When he was back, he would try to raise money and awareness for China, but at that time, nobody, nobody cared, and he was getting very discouraged um, as uh, funds were actually drying up for, for China. When he's saying, we need more people um, now because there are so many lost. Um, he took a uh, leap of faith, and uh, he, uh, one day when he was praying, he felt led that he needed to himself bring more missionaries to China, which ultimately uh, ended up being the China Inland Mission that uh, he was praying that there would be 24 missionaries that would go to China, uh, two for each province and two for Mongolia. Um, And so he started praying for these 24 24 missionaries. um, And ultimately, in 1865, 16 left with him, who are 16 that are in this picture, as well as him himself and his wife and his his kids. Uh, And then there were, uh, I believe, eight other missionaries, seven or eight other missionaries in um, China that joined up with him. So they had their their number of 24. Uh, they, to be a part of this mission society, you had to dress uh, in, the Chinese, in the Chinese dress. Um, and also, there was no guaranteed salary, and you were not allowed to uh, do support raising. Um, so, you know, some of our, so Kyle chuckles, uh, so our, our guys who work for CO, you know, and other, most missionaries, you think about the time that you have to spend uh, to do uh, support raising, to go and meet with people and try to get funds and churches, um, but they were not allowed to do that. Um, the only way they could appeal for funds is to, to pray, pray to God uh, that he would provide those, provide those funds, even while they were in, in China. People who were in, uh, in England would say, even people who were supporting and fans of him and said, hey, you can't do this. Because even though people are behind you right now and they give you money, you're going to go over to China and they're going to forget about you slowly as time goes on, uh, which, which, which happens. Uh, and you're going to have needs. Nobody's going to know anything about those needs. You take over a hospital and your, your expenditures have you know, quadrupled. Nobody's going to know about that. You have to let them know or you'll be forgotten and not taken care of. I really liked his, uh, his uh, response to that. Uh, this next slide should have it. He says, I am taking my children with me to China, and I notice it is not difficult to remember that they need breakfast in the morning, dinner at midday, and supper at nights. 
Indeed, I could not forget them if I tried. And I find it impossible to think that our heavenly Father is less tender and mindful of his children than I, a poor earthly father, am of mine. No, he will not forget us. I really like that, that, uh, that comparison uh, of him. You know, he takes care of his kids. He knows what his kids need. He says, my God, who is my father, will take care of my needs uh, as well. And then he went on and said this quote here, and I really like the last line of it. Let us see that we keep God before our eyes, that we walk in his ways and seek to please and glorify him in everything, great and small. Depend upon it, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supplies. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supplies. Though Kyle is probably not going to like for Reed or Deanna to come to him to say, hey, I'm going to stop, you know, like sending out support letters and and I'm just going to completely trust without, you know, uh, asking for funds. There will be times when there are needs uh, that you have for your ministry or for uh, in, your, in your life, which you don't feel like are being met and you might get worried about. Um, but whether you do it in Hudson Taylor's way or in way of you know, asking for money, you can know that God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supplies. And so they went out with that, uh, with that kind of fortitude, with that kind of trust in God, um, and they uh, went to China, um, and instead of being in the port cities, they would go inland um, and set up shop uh, in cities that were farther in. When they were there, they, fit, they met lots of hardship, lots of persecution, uh, either for legal reasons or culturally them not, the Chinese there not wanting foreigners to be among them. And so sometimes they would be uh, kicked out, forced out of a city, and they would have to set up camp um, someplace else. But eventually they had about four different spots uh, that they were ministering, ministering from. Um, they faced uh, the political turmoil, uh, oh, political turmoil in England, uh, as it related to China, was causing for less giving to be given to the missionaries who were in China. So they started to feel the pinch while they were serving there in China. And they got into a similar situation that they had been in the hospital where they were getting down to their last bag of rice. And as they had this team of 24 missionaries, as well as children to take care of, they were really having to depend upon him more for their, for their needs. And uh, it was just really falling short. And then enter this man. Next slide. Just imagine there's a picture of a man up there. And that man, oh, oh, sorry, before the man. This is a shameless plug for uh, Pilgrim's Progress. I, so I, I love the book Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, it's my, my number one favorite book besides the Bible, of course. Uh, um, I am amazed how many books I read um, that make a reference to Pilgrim's Progress. And I found it amazing that I was reading about this ministry in the 1850s um, that part of their, their devotions that they would do um, as a team over there, they would read the Bible together and they would often read a portion of Pilgrim's Progress. And they would really read that with their disciples um, as well. So a little plug, if you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress or if you haven't read in a while, read it, read it again. Okay, back to the main story. So uh, next slide. There's a picture of you. Is this the, the man you imagined when I said imagine a man? No? Okay. This is the man. Um, so even though you might recognize him, this is George, George Mueller, the guy who we talked about earlier uh, who had the orphanage um, and would do it without asking for any funds, would, would just pray. Um, they got a letter. Uh, well, George Mueller contacted the organizer. Um, oh, let me back up. 
George Mueller sent some money uh, over, to, uh, over to Hudson. He said, I felt uh, a burden uh, to be involved more in the overseas missions, not just taking care of these 2,000 kids at my orphanage, but I want to be a part of the gospel being taken to, to other, other nations. So he sent over a, a large check because he had been praying um, for this mission, and money came in, and so he sent it over to Hudson Taylor. Uh, George Mueller then reached out to the organizer in England and said, hey, could you send me some names of missionaries to be praying for in your, in your group? So the organizer sent him a list of six names of missionaries. Hey, here's some to you know, choose, choose one or two from it. And uh, he said he saw the names and he's like, how can I not you know, pick all six? So he took all six of these names and he began praying for them uh, and sending money over for, for them. Uh, and then as some months or a year passed, uh, he says, why am I only praying for six? He said, he wrote again, he says, give me all your names. Give me all the names that you have uh, and I'll be praying for all of your missionaries. Um, and God's blessings upon George Mueller and his faith and his prayers then began to pour out uh, on, uh, on them as, as well. Um, uh, Hudson uh, continued to go through um, lots of various um, hardships uh, as he was leading this team, um, and they would have v- various conflict within, within the team. Um, one such hardship that he had, um, his uh, wife died, Maria. Um, they had been married for uh, about 13 years, 12 years. She was 33 years old uh, when she died. She had given birth to eight children, Two of them had died at childbirth. Two of them died uh, in childhood. And so they had four surviving children. That's ultimately how Maria died. She gave birth um, and she had cholera. Um, She was not able to feed um, the baby and the baby died. uh, And then she ended up dying uh, as well. they had to send off their children to, to England um, to be taken care of. Um, and I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, Maria was actually alive at the time when they sent their kids off. I believe there were five kids that they were trying to send off to England. When Hudson and Maria were taking the five kids to the port city in Shanghai, on the way there, their youngest child, son, um, got sick and he, he died um, and we did not get to go um, to England. Maria, they, they had to bury him on the way. Maria was mourning the loss a couple days ago of her, of her son. She caught word that one of the missionaries back at, the, at, their, um, at their station, the, the wife was very sick. And so she returned quickly to take care of the wife um, to relieve the husband. And I, I believe the wife ended up dying there uh, as well. But Maria, we talk a lot about Hudson Taylor, but Maria was, was by him side the entire, the entire time, was very active um, in uh, sharing the gospel and in the mission. And her heart um, for the people and for her team comes out, I believe, in seeing she's just lost her child and she still goes to take care of this other, of this other uh, fellow missionary. Um, he ended up getting uh, remarried, uh, Hudson did, uh, about a year or two later um, to uh, another, I believe it was another team member, uh, actually, and they were married for the rest, rest of their lives until the early 1900s. Um, this is, what's the next, next slide look like? The, uh, the China Inland Mission be- continued to grow. Um, eight, in 1876, 10 years later, um, they had 52 missionaries, which accounted for 20% uh, of the missionaries in China. So this small ragtag team of uh, the China Inland Mission had now become uh, one of the largest, um, the largest groups in China. 
1881, uh, he prayed for 70 new, new missionaries to come. Uh, and by 1884, he had gotten uh, 76 missionaries to come. Again, in a uh, two years later, in 1886, seeing the great need in China with the millions who had not heard the gospel, uh, he prayed that there would be 100 in the next year um, new missionaries to be sent to, to China. Um, exactly one year later, he had gotten 102 uh, new missionaries to come. And so continually, he would ask for these numbers, he would ask for these things so that the gospel would go out um, and, he would, and he would get them. It makes you wonder if he had not asked for 1,000, if he would have gotten 1,000 uh, as well. I like this quote that he said um, as he would recruit missionaries. He said, China is not to be won for Christ by quiet, ease-loving men and women. He was looking for bold people who are willing to go out and to make a sacrifice for, for the gospel. Over his lifetime, he made 10 trips, as I said, um, to, and from, uh, to and from China. One of his greatest hardships as he continued to uh, lead the China Inland Mission um, in China and in England was around 1900. There's something called the Boxer Rebellion. Um, and at this time, they pushed, the Chinese were pushing out the foreigners that were living there in the, in the country. The China Inland Missions missionaries, they stayed the longest one because they looked the most like the Chinese. They fit in the most, and they were also dedicated to the Chinese. Because of that, um, many of them were slaughtered. They lost uh, 58 missionaries and 21 children uh, who were killed, um, slaughtered during this Boxer Rebellion. Him as leading the agency um, weighed on him very, very heavily. He ended up having a uh, a mental breakdown of sorts, um, both in his his psyche and in his his body as well. And around 1902, uh, he stepped down from leading China Inland Mission. In 1905, um, you can go ahead in this next slide. 1905, you can see him there, I believe, on the, uh, on the left. Uh, he's much older right now. In 1905, uh, he was on a trip in China, um, and he died near Changsha, and he was buried there. Um, uh, just I know, kind of a, a fitting a fitting uh, part of the story during the Cultural Revolution, that cemetery was destroyed um, and an industrial building was, was built uh, over it. And it's kind of the life that Hudson Taylor, Hudson Taylor lived. He gave his all in his, in his own life with his, with his family, uh, with his body, with his finances, with his, with his faith, everything he gave to the gospel, not looking for anything in, in return as far as uh, monetary wealth or recognition or anything. And so even his, even his gravesite, you know, is gone um, and just turned into a, into a factory. At the time that he died, there were over 800 missionaries with China Inland Mission. And over the time, 125,000 Chinese converts um, in, in China. And for those of us who have worked in, in China, uh, will know there are millions, if not over 100 million uh, believers in China right now. I believe this is the seed, this is the seed of that, um, that the gospel got in there this way. Today, China Inland Mission still exists 150 years later as um, it's OMF, uh, I forget what it stands for, I knew I had it right, Overseas Missions Fellowship. It's based in Singapore, uh, based in Singapore, has over 2,000 workers from 40 different countries. It is led by a Chinese person, uh, and they're serving in 100 people groups with hundreds of thousands of converts. All of this started through Hudson Taylor, his devotion and prayer, 
um, and his faith in God, and that's what God was able to do through him. Um, I, I hope that you will be encouraged by this um, in, in your lives and what you're doing in your arena here at this church, um, in your workplace, those that you are sharing with or those that you're not sharing with and that I'm not sharing with um, and, and praying for those and the needs that you have, whether it be financial or physical or whatever it might be, um, taking those to the Lord and knowing that he will, he will provide for you because he cares for you as a father cares for his child, um, God, cares for, God cares for you. Are there any, any, uh, any questions? We've got a couple, couple minutes. Yes, sir. I think that's a great question, and uh, I I kind of thought about that some. And so, a little bit of background to, that, to my answer to that. When I was in China, I was thinking like they don't wear this uh, now in China. So I was thinking, how can I fit in there? Um, and uh, one thing I, I tried in China at the time, uh, most guys and some women too, I guess, they would grow out their uh, pinky fingernails. Um, and at least one of them, and it was for like cleaning out your cleaning out your ear. <laughs> In their in their nose, and then they would, if they necessary pick their teeth. Anyways, so uh, I I remember I was like I want to fit in, you know, and do what can I do? So I tried growing out my my fingernail, um, but it was really hard to type with that, so I ended up taking that out. Um, when I went to Korea, uh, in North Korea, they, they do have an attire, um, and jeans are uh, of foreigners, like foreign devils. Um, and so I made a note, one, not to wear the jeans, and I went to the market, and I bought, they've got like three types of clothing that they wear, and I, it looked stupid, but I would, I would wear it. And uh, so, but, but that went a long way to bridging the gap with them. Um, so that was my experience overseas. I think here in America, I think you can go to the extreme and be like, all right, we have to be a, you know, all a part uh, of, the, of the culture. And so I have to stay up on watching all the sports and playing all the games and being on all the social media in order to be able to, you know, to fit in. Um, so I think that would be the extreme, which could be dangerous. Um, however, I think the, um, the way to not honor this principle uh, is to sit in a corner and, and read a book, you know, 100% of the time and not be engaged with, with people and have nothing um, to talk with them about, and which I'm sure that you guys run into on campus, you know, as far as doing basketball or um, whatever it might be to be able to connect, connect with them. But it could be a dangerous slope too, because the things that you, if you, if you specialize in that, if his one thing was like, I wear a Chinese dress and that's, you know, and that's my thing. You need to be about the gospel, which is what he was ultimately about. Good. Other questions? Yes, Caleb, I see you. Good. I can see it in your eyes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, let me uh, pray for us and then uh, get ready for service. Father, we know that you are a good, good father. And uh, I enjoyed uh, the past week's reading about your faithfulness to Hudson Taylor and enjoyed getting to speak of and to reminisce on what you did through him uh, this morning. And Father, we know that you are that same good father for, for us. And I feel convicted by Hudson Taylor's burning heart for for the lost, um, 
those near him and even those who are far from him, Lord. And I confess that that is not my burning heart and burning desire right now. And so, Father, I pray that, again, you would uh, renew, enlighten that flame, Father, um, to have a passion and a a burden to share the gospel with the lost who I work with and uh, with those who are overseas. And I pray that same thing for brothers and sisters here, Lord. And I pray that we would have that joy um, that, that Hudson had as well as we center our lives on you. We do pray for, for China. Uh, and we pray for our brothers and sisters there who continue to carry the torch, um, who do face persecution. Um, we pray, Father, that you would quicken their steps with the gospel. We pray that you would be moving uh, among those who do not know you there. And we pray for the missionaries who are serving over there right now, that you would provide for them um, and use them in a mighty way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.